Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How we doing? Woo! Good, good. Uh, just a reminder on your way out, uh, if you need more coffee, go ahead and grab some. Quick show of hands. Who's taking a nap this afternoon? Any nappers out there? I, unashamedly, I will be taking a nap. Some of you are lying. <laughs> Liars. Uh, my name is Peter. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and we're, uh, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, just a, a reminder from what Jeff, Pastor Jeff already said tonight, we do have our worship night here. Great opportunity to, you can, you can sing, you can pray, you can have others pray for you. Just sit and be still. Also, it'll be dark in here. And so if you do take a nap while you're here, everybody will think you're really, really holy anyway. So win-win situation for you. Uh, but let's get moving. We're starting into a brand new series in First Peter. So you can flip your Bibles open there. Uh, if you have your Bible on your phone, feel free to click open. It's in the New Testament. It's going to be very much towards the end of your Bible. It's a small letter written by my guy, uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter. Um, it's five chapters long. Um, and it was written at about 62, 63 AD, somewhere around there. And uh, he is going to take some time here to talk to a bunch of Gentile exiles um, and kind of kind of gird them up a little bit, make sure that they are that they are strong and they are they are ready to go. And so we're going to get to that in just a second. But for I want you to think about the answer to this question and maybe tell the person that you came with or if you're online, maybe write it in the chat. Don't answer it quite yet, but here's here's your question that I want you to answer at your funeral. What is it? you want other people to say about you. So think about that. Don't answer it. Don't answer it quite yet. But what adjectives would you want coming out of other people's mouths as you get honored and remembered at your, at your funeral? So uh, I want you to think about that for a second as I, as I tell this, this quick story. Many of you know that when I was 22, uh, my dad passed away. And I got the honor uh, to, uh, to actually speak at my dad's funeral. And uh, one of the, the greatest things, greatest honors of my life, but also one of the most difficult things I ever had to do in my life as well as you could, you could probably imagine. And it was really interesting. I, I spoke last and so my dad's sister actually went first. And so my dad's name was Edwin, um, Edwin Delmar. Don't know what kind of middle name that was. Edwin Delmar Anderson. Um, and so as he was growing up, everybody knew my dad as Eddie, right? And so my, my aunt is up there and she's talking about Eddie and Eddie and Eddie and and um, kind of told about, uh, well, Eddie would get in trouble and Eddie played basketball and Eddie, all of these different things, right? And then talked about how my dad was kind of the glue guy at the end of his life for his siblings. You guys know that person probably in your family who's like the glue that keeps the family together. That was kind of my dad because his parents and his grandparents had, had passed away. So it was kind of his responsibility to keep the, keep the family, keep his siblings together. And so after... After uh, my aunt spoke, then it was my dad's turn. Or <laughs> no, no, my dad was not speaking at that point. <sighs> Man, he was dead. How did no? Okay. Um, anyway, uh, my brother then spoke about my dad. Um, and uh, my brother kind of talked about how, how he saw my dad in everybody and like the way that they, they talked with other people, their laughter, their joy, their, you know, whatever it is, that that, that is how my brother kind of remembered my dad. And then after that, I got the opportunity to speak and I just took a chance to talk about the many different hats that my dad got an opportunity to wear. 
right? And not, not physical hats, like the roles that he played in my life because he was, of course, dad first and foremost, right? Uh, but beyond just being dad, he was coach. And so he was like, of course, coach who was always harder on his own kid than he was on everybody else's kid, right? So I got less playing time than I thought I deserved. You coach dads out there know what I'm talking about. Um, and so he was my coach, but then beyond just being my coach, he was my, my manager um, for every Saturday morning when we had to wake up and pull weeds. And so I got the opportunity to talk about, about the weed manager, for the uh, pulling weed manager for clarity's sake. <laughs> Don't wanna be misquoted there. Um, he was my driving instructor when I turned 16, so he taught me how to drive, good or bad. And of course, especially when I got into my later stages of high school and into college, my loan officer as well when I was a little short on cash for the month. And so my dad wore all of these hats, like you get the point, right? But one of the things that was, I was very confident of at the end of my dad's life especially was that he was a Christian. Like that is one of the hats that he wore, and I made sure to, to spend some time as I was talking on this aspect of his life. And so oftentimes when you go to a funeral, you kind of get confronted with your own physical mortality. You get confronted with this idea that there is some finality at the end of my life, and you start thinking some of those questions about like, what is it that I want to be known for? And so just for a second, turn to the person you came with, maybe write it in the notes, write it in the chat. Tell me, tell that, those people next to you what adjectives maybe you would like to have spoken about you at your funeral. Go ahead, I'll give you about 10 seconds. All right. So I think that's important, and I think whatever it is that you said... Okay, I want you to remember that as we get to the end of this message today. Okay, so mark that word um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of follow up with it. But, but I think this is an incredibly important question because our behavior flows from our identity. Our behavior flows from our identity. The decisions that you make on a regular basis flow from who it is you see yourself as. This is what Peter is going to be talking about in the entirety of the book of 1 Peter. Hey, think about it. Think about, I mean, for me specifically, at one point in time, a long, long time ago, and about four inches around my waist to go, I was a high school division one water polo captain of my team. Okay, and I don't say that to be braggy. I say that because I recognize that that, that role, that identity that I held, decisions flowed out of that. Okay, and so because of that, I knew that as a water polo player, I was going to have to, to not get as much sleep as the rest of my peers because I was expected to be in the pool at 6 a.m. And then I was also expected to be in the pool again after school to do more practice. And so I recognized that decision I had to make, is this worth it or not? Well, my identity is a water polo player, and so because of that, of course, it's a no-brainer. I am going to do that. Or even, even shifting into like, oh, I was the captain of my team, which meant that if you've ever been a captain of a team, you know that you're not allowed to have as much fun as the rest of the team, right? So there were instances where I had to like be the fun police for the rest of my team. Like, hey, guys, that's a really dumb decision. If you do that, we're probably going to get kicked off the team at some point. So please stop doing that. 
So decisions that I made flowed out of my identity. So think about your different identities. Think about maybe you're a husband or a wife, a, a mom or a dad, maybe you're an employee or a boss, a coach, an athlete. Maybe today your identity is just sleepy because you didn't get enough sleep last night. Like whatever that, that, that identity is partially also depends on the context in which you find yourself. Okay, we're, we're in the classroom right now, okay? So we're gonna, get, we're gonna get to church here in a second. But the context in which you find yourself. So even though I was the, the captain of my water polo team, when I was at home, that did not matter nearly as much as when I was on the pool deck, right? So if my mom told me, hey, go clean your room, I didn't say, I am the captain of my water polo team. How dare you? Right? Like, like that wouldn't make sense in that context. So your, your identity matters and the context in which you find yourself matters very much as well. So the question today then becomes, if your identity is that of, of a Christian and your context is anywhere in the world, how is it you are supposed to react to different situations? And I think all of it hinges on this idea of identity. And so in order for us to respond correctly to a situation, we need to know both what our identity is as well as the context in which we are responding. Galatians 2.20 actually reminds us that I have been crucified with Christ. This is our new identity. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That is our identity in Galatians 2.20. That is who we are supposed to be as Christians. And regardless of your worldview, even if you're here today and you're like, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. Y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. All you want is my money. God bless you. Your identity, your decisions, though, still flow from your identity, regardless of what it is that you would name yourself, regardless of how you would identify. Your decisions flow from your identity. Regardless of your worldview, everything from how you dress to the words you use to the way that you treat your family, all of those things flow from your identity. And like we constantly say here, when you are a Christian, your beliefs should dictate your actions. Always, your beliefs should dictate your actions so you shouldn't be cheating on your taxes, you shouldn't be lying at work, and you shouldn't be living a life, or you should be rather, living a life that exemplifies Christ on the cross. And resurrected. So that means you should have conversations about Jesus. You should be inviting people into the faith. You should be spending time bolstering your relationship with God. So as Peter gets started here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we are going to see him doing his best to remind his audience who they are. So let's read it. It says, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So we need to look at that for a second, right? There's these exiles that Peter is talking to, but not just exiles, not just like political prisoners or anything like that. These are to God's elect. 
These are God's people he's writing to. It's not just some random nation or anything like that. To God's elect that find themselves in these five different territories. Verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Identity. This is who you are. Not just where you find yourself, not just the fact that you are exiles, but you, you were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. It talks about every single member of the Trinity there. It talks about God the Father. It talks about Jesus and his blood and the fact that, man, you, you are reconciled to God with that blood. And it talks about the Holy Spirit as well. And then he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. He's talking about identity, but also he begins talking about context here as well. And context allows us to respond appropriately for the world, to the world around us. If, you, if we live in a place and a time where we don't understand what is, what is happening around us, we will have a more difficult time navigating the world. Right? Like if you don't understand what's going on, it's going to be pretty difficult for you to, to, to kind of navigate what's going on. Let me give you an example. Let's say you went into a coma two years ago. I know it's a very exciting uh, analogy here. But you went into a coma two years ago. You woke up yesterday and you realized the first thing you needed to do out of your two-year coma was go fill your truck up with gas. Oh, that, that might be a little, a little hard to rectify in your mind when you get to, well, okay, maybe you drive to Chevron and it's like 549 or 79 or whatever it is. You're like, someone went mad here. Like someone went crazy here. But it's Chevron. They're usually a little bit more expensive. So that's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive down the street to, to, to Valero maybe. And, and Valero, you get there, it's like 529. You're like, you joking me right now? Like, like something, something has gone crazy. But you're like, you know what? Don't worry about it because Costco is my jam. I'm going to go to Costco and gas is going to be under five. And you get to Costco and you're still paying over five bucks for gas. You are going to have a difficult time navigating the world if you do not understand what is going on around you. And so Peter, as he's talking about identity, he also brings in this idea of context as well. And so context is incredibly important. Let me show you an example. Here's the example. I want you to read those words to the person sitting next to you. Go ahead. Just read them. Say them out loud if you want. Jot them down on your notes. Okay. It shouldn't take that long. Okay. Some of you are going to be smart Alex in here and be like, I don't know what it says. Yes, you do. That says the cat. Correct? Everybody could probably agree. That says the cat. And the only reason you know that says the cat is because of the context in which you find those two middle letters. Let me show you why. Magic. If we were to take away the rest of these letters, you would recognize those two middle letters are exactly the same. And the only reason you were able to come up with those words is because of the context in which you find those letters. So context is important. And so Peter is going to keep going back to this idea of identity and the context in which you find yourselves and how it is that you need to make decisions based on those things. This is, of course, the problem. I'm going to do a quick little rabbit trail here. This is, of course, the problem with, uh, that a lot of people have when they read the Bible. Without understanding the context in which the Bible was written or who it was written to, 
or the social situations happening at the time, we can get bogged down in not properly understanding what it means or how to apply it to our lives. There's two really famous examples of people reading the Bible out of context, verses people love to quote. The first is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? People love putting that on their Instagram profiles. You see like power lifters putting that in their, their Instagram pro, pro, profiles. They're like, I can, I can PR this set. Christ gives me the strength. And that's really not what he's talking about at all. But one of my, my favorite ones is actually Jeremiah 29.11. So Jeremiah 29.11 says, uh, uh, hold on, I'm going to, uh, uh, for I know the plans, I just had to get started. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for a hope and for a future. I mean, that's warm, fuzzy verse right there if you've ever heard a warm, fuzzy verse, right? And everybody's like, oh, that's God's promise for my life in 2022. Don't worry about gas. Don't worry about my bank account. Don't worry about Ukraine. Don't worry about Russia. Like, don't worry about any of those things because God has a hope and a future for me. Here's the fun thing. Jeremiah 29, 11 was not written to you. As a matter of fact. So let's look at the context real quick of Jeremiah 29 11. Because to be fair, Jeremiah 29 11, man, that sounds pretty great when we're searching for hope. But applied in proper context, we would understand that Jeremiah actually spoke these words to Jews who had been living under the dominion of the Egyptian and then the Babylonian empires before eventually being carried into exile from Jerusalem back to Babylon. Okay, so there's this group of people. These are God's chosen people, the Jews, who are like exile, 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 exile. I mean, you can only imagine what it would be like to live under the domination of your enemies, then be forced by those enemies to kind of leave your homeland and settle in a foreign, con- or in a foreign uh, area. And so for literary context, in the previous chapter, context, in the previous chapter, Jeremiah had just pronounced judgment upon a false prophet by the name of Hananiah. That's Jeremiah 28. And so Hananiah had told the people that God would would break the yoke of Babylon, freeing the people to return home within two years. And everybody's like, wow, that sounds great. Like two years, I can do this for two years. Like God is going to take care of my enemies in two years. Like he is going, he, like he is go, I am going to manifest this and, and he is going to, to make it happen. And so while his message definitely sounded appealing to a whole lot of people, it was a lie. And it actually resulted in God removing Hananiah from the face of the earth. He killed him. So here comes Jeremiah then, right? Here comes Jeremiah at verse, verse, or chapter 29. And he tells the people, hey, look, I know what Hananiah said. I know that, that, that you think that this is going to happen in the next two years. But Hananiah was a liar. And actually, you are going to live in Babylon for the next 70 years of your life. Most likely, your kids will not see freedom from this dominion of these different empires. So you might want to settle in. You might want to build a house. You might want to take care of your people. You might want to just recognize that this is what life is going to be like. And he says that all through Jeremiah 29 verses 4 through 10. And then we get to Jeremiah 29, 11 after that. And so when understood in context, we discover that, that Jeremiah 29, 11 
They were spoken to people in the midst of hardship and suffering, people who were, who were likely desiring an immediate rescue like the one that Hananiah lied about. But God in this, his response is not to provide immediate escape from a difficult situation. Rather, God promises that he has a plan to prosper them and not harm them in the midst of their current situation. So when we see this verse in context, this verse is not about you. The good news is, the better news is, this verse is about the character of God. And so actually when you read Jeremiah 29, 11 in context, it actually has a greater meaning than it is that we normally apply it to our lives. Because it's not about just some little promise that God makes about, hey, I had a hard day yesterday or I lost an hour of sleep last night, but don't worry, God's going to prosper me today. No, no, this is about the character of God when read in context properly. Context matters. And so as Peter is writing to his audience, he is trying to get them to understand the context also in which they find themselves. And so it's context and it's identity because behavior flows from our identity. All right? The, uh, the, the movie Chariots of Fire, you guys remember that movie where they run on the beach in white clothing for a really long period of time in slow motion? You guys remember that movie? That's all I remember from that movie. But it's about the Olympian Eric Little. Okay? And, and Eric Little, he was like this Olympic champion. He's this missionary to China. And he would run with this reckless abandon because he knew who he was. He knew his identity. He knew that as he ran, he was running for Christ. He was running as an ambassador, as a representative of Jesus. But one of the interesting things about that, that story, about that movie, is that actually his sister commented on the movie afterwards. And she said, you know, pretty much great, great movie, but it really failed to, to capture the wildness of Eric's running. It failed to capture just how crazy he was when he ran. She said he would kick it into another gear where all of a sudden he would be running normally and then he would throw his head back and start almost pawing at the air as he was running to run as fast as he could and looked absolutely ridiculous as he was doing it. But you know what? He didn't care because identity wasn't found in being some smooth, suave athlete. His identity was found in running for Christ. Because he said, when I run, I run for his pleasure, not for my glory, for his pleasure. He knew what his identity is. We even try to bestow our identity onto, onto our kids or our grandkids. We want them to, to identify as Christians. I mean, we, we even have phrases that we use. He's like a chip off the old block. Or the apple doesn't fall far from the... Right? Yeah. So we understand these, different, these identifiers, but where do these similarities come from? How is it that those who call themselves Christians can look more like Jesus, as is the goal? Because it doesn't come from our ability. Life change doesn't come from hours of practice or simply having more experience being a Christian. Like those things, maybe those things may help, but the reality is, is when we understand who we are, we can better understand how it is we should react to a situation. So when we think about our identity as children of God, we need to ask ourselves then, how far has the apple fallen from the tree? Does the way I live my life show others that I am a child of God? 
That's the, that's the question. So Peter takes some time to make sure his audience knows who they are. They're saved. They're sealed women of God. This is their identity. And this is what he tells them in 1 Peter. It's verse, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And all this greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So he starts out in verse 3 here by telling everyone that they are Christians. Identifying them. You are sons and daughters of God. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is what he says. Our Lord. We are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And he keeps going by reminding them what he did for them. This is why you're a Christian is what he's saying in verses 4 and 5. He gives us a new birth. He gives us a living hope, an inheritance that can never perish because it's stored up in heaven. Like nothing can touch your identity in Christ. And then he reminds them of their context. Through faith we are shielded by God's power. And then he goes on in verse 6, tells us why he's reminding them of all of these things. He says, in all of this, greatly rejoice. In everything that's happening, in, the, in your identity, greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer all kinds of trials. So this is what we need to understand about 1 Peter. Okay? Persecution was beginning to kind of sneak into their area and their lives, and Peter wants to kind of calm them down. Now, like I said, the, the first epistle of Peter was written around eighty sixty two or 63 or so to a, a, a group of Christians living in a region that's kind of called Pontus Bithynia, and it's kind of an area of modern-day modern day Turkey. It's just south of the Black Sea in case you're interested in heading over to Europe for some reason right now. But these people were beginning to experience significant social and cultural marginalization as a result of their faith. But it wasn't yet formal or fatal persecution. It was more of like, oh, you're a Christian. It was more of dirty looks. It was more of being shunned. It was more of getting passed up for an opportunity at a job because of the fact that they had a faith in Christ. That's the type of hardship they're dealing with right now. Thomas Schreiner, he's a, a theologian, he says this, the only specific suffering noted is discrimination and mistreatment and verbal abuse from former colleagues and friends. So it's not fatal. This is not anything where, where you know, if, if they were like in Rome, that Nero's lighting them up like candles, right? Like that isn't the type of persecution that was happening at this point. It was just kind of, hey, you guys are going to be ostracized and you're going to be on the outs. So that's what's going on. And so Peter, he wants to do his best to, 
to stabilize them. And it's a good thing he wanted to, to stabilize them. He wanted him to have a realistic appraisal of the difficulties that they were going to be enduring. And to maintain a Christian attitude and witness regardless of their circumstance, which is a good thing that he did, by the way, because history tells us that there was actually no formal persecution of Christians in this area until 50 years later. No formal or fatal persecution in this area for another 50 years, somewhere around 112 A.D., This is Peter saying, look, remember who you are. Remember your identity. And while this isn't fun right now, remember that you are God's people. And he says this over and over and over again. You're a Christian identity shielded by the power of God. Remember that as you go through trial. And so for you even, right, think about maybe the the trials and decisions that you need to make today. Maybe those decisions that you need to make tomorrow, next week. Maybe it's a transition for a job. Maybe it's taking the next step in a relationship or ending a relationship. Maybe it's simply the words you use at work or the way you treat your spouse at home. Because as important as it is for you to make decisions out of your identity, the opposite is actually true as well, and oftentimes more telling. Your decisions and actions make your identity known to those around you. So it doesn't matter what you claim to be, your actions and decisions will speak much louder than your voice will oftentimes in these different situations. So think about how you act what you decide and what it is you're telling about yourself to the world. Like, for example, if you're going 65 in the fast lane, I've already decided your identity is that of a terrible person. (laughs) Right? Like, your actions are going to speak louder than your words at that point. I don't care if you have a Jesus fish on your bumper. Like, that's worst case scenario, as a matter of fact. Right? So your actions are going to speak louder than words at that point. If there is no difference between your words and everyone else's words at work, then they have already decided there is nothing special about Christianity. If the way you act does not cause you to stick out from the crowd, then there is nothing special about Christianity to anybody else in the world. Your identity matters, and your identity is shown by the decisions and the actions that you make, regardless of what you say. And so 1 Peter consistently comes back to this idea of identity. This is written by an apostle who spent time with Jesus. He's one of Jesus, Jesus' most trusted men in the entire world. Saw Jesus glorified, a guy who saw him raised from the dead. And here Peter is looking at a, a bunch of people who are downhearted and frustrated by the state of the world. Sound familiar? And he takes time to sit down and remind them of who they are and the context in which they find themselves so they can better make decisions about the world around them. He reminds them of their identity. When I was younger, uh, well, even when I was older too, in college, high school, 
uh, our house was like the house that everybody went to. You guys know that house, right? And we didn't have anything special. I think it was just mostly because my parents were never home. Um, and so everybody was like, let's go to Peter's house. We do whatever we want. Um, but oftentimes my dad would take kids home from our house, right? And so uh, as he would take them home, they would say, you know, thank you, Mr. Anderson. And he would say one thing every single time. Well, good boys are always welcome, right? He would say that every single time. I mean, as long as they were being a good kid. And I recognized that it wasn't necessarily because of their behavior. It was because my dad was reminding them of their identity. And hey, as long as, as, long as you are in my care, as long as you are a good, care, a, a good kid, a good boy in this case, then you're always welcome to be a part of the family. Who's reminding them of who they were. Sarah and I don't say that to our kids. Not because they're not good kids. You guys are like, wow, they're terrible kids. Yes, they're terrible children and we never say it to them. No. We try to preemptively say it. And we do sometimes. We don't sometimes. It's not like we're perfect in this, in this aspect. But oftentimes when we are dropping off a kid somewhere, wherever it is, that as they're getting out of the car, and I've shared this before, we'll, we'll say two things to them. We will say, remember who you are first. Remember who you are. And that comes back to this idea that, that your last name is Anderson still when you get out of this car. You are, representing, you are representing mom, you are representing me, you are representing your brothers, you are representing the Anderson family as a whole, pea soup and all, right? Like you are representing all of us. Some of you got that. No relation. So you're representing all of us with the decisions that you make, the actions that you do. Your identity is that of an Anderson. And so remember that. And it's not because we are like, oh, how if you do anything bad, we're going to disown you. No, we just want to remind them of the values that we have put into them. Say, hey, if me and mom were there, would you make this same stupid decision? Usually the answer is no. Right, so that's the first thing we say. Remember who you are. And the second thing that we say is remember whose you are. That's the other one. Remember whose you are. And this is to call them back to the idea that you are Christ's. You have been sealed for life by the decision to follow Jesus in your life. You are a Christian. You now hold the name, you now hold the moniker Christian forever. And so even more important than Anderson, you are a Christian you are representing God, you are representing Jesus every single place you go with every single action that you have, with every de single decision that you make. That's, how you, that, that's who you represent. And so, so far, four of our five kids have said, yep, my moniker is Christian. That's how I am marked, that's how I am known, that is my identity forever. And so the way I represent Christ matters. The way I act matters. My identity matters. So then this landing should probably be pretty easy for all of us. Today you need to ask yourself a few questions. I think the first question and the largest question, the one of eternal significance, is would God, not would you, would God call you a follower of Christ? Is that where your identity is? Would God call you a follower of Christ? Is your identity found and rooted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? And if the answer is yes, great. 
You could tune me out for the next minute. But if the answer is no to that, or maybe like, like more of us in here, maybe at one point you've said, yes, that is my identity. But you've just kind of, man, fallen away. And you haven't come back fully. Maybe you need to re-up your commitment level to him. Maybe that's never been your identity ever. I don't know. Maybe for the first time today, you, you are asking some of those questions. Regardless of where you're at, though, today, you'll have a question or you'll have a chance to respond to that in just a minute. Because the other question, and maybe the more telling question for the majority of us in here today, is is not just where you find your identity. Because we recognize that wherever you go, you're a follower of Jesus. But the real question is, are the decisions you are making exemplifying Jesus? Or are you just another face in the crowd? I think that's the question we have to recognize. I think that's the question we have to wrestle with. Because much like my kids, when they get out of the car and we're dropping them off somewhere, we have taken on that moniker of Christian. We take on the responsibility at that point of making God look good and Christ well known. It's no longer an option at that point. That's our responsibility. So I don't know where you land today. And I don't know what hard conversation you need to have with yourself or what hard conversation you need to have with the Holy Spirit. But the time to do it is now because our physical mortality, remember that funeral question you answered about 30 minutes ago? Our physical mortality in each of our funerals is closer than any of us care to admit. And so if your goal is to have people call you the adjective Christian. He was a Christian. She was a Christian. She loved Jesus. You're running out of time to make that known. All of us are. Because at the end of my life, yeah, I want people to stand on this stage and say, man, he was a great dad. He was the best husband, better than all the other husbands. Because of his fandom, the Giants beat the Dodgers in the 2022 NLCS. Like I want them to say those things, but at the end of all of that, I want them to say regardless of all of those other things, man, he loved Jesus so much. His identity was found in Jesus that, that every single part of, part of him, all of his decisions, all of his actions flowed out of that identity that he was the same person as he was talking on stage, as he was in his office, as he was when he is at home, as he is on the soccer field coaching his kids, like, like whatever it may be, that that identity of Christian followed him and everything flowed through that. That's what I want for my life. And I think if I'm being completely honest, there are things that I need to do to continue to make that true, that I want my trajectory to be more and more like Jesus every single day. And so I think you need, to, you need to wrestle with those two questions. Is your identity with Christ? And if so, are your decisions acting like it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for identifying me as your son. 
And thank you for identifying those people, those people in here and online today as your children as well. And God, I pray that we wouldn't take that moniker lightly, that moniker of Christian lightly. That it wouldn't just be something that we put on our car or something that we only talk about when we're at church, but it would be our, our, that our identity would flow through us regardless of where we find ourselves, regardless of the context in which we find ourselves because we recognize that being a Christian, our identity as, as Christian does not change regardless of our context. And so as we find ourselves in different situations, God, as we find ourselves in different contexts, I pray that the decisions that we make and the actions that we take, they would glorify you in every aspect of our lives. And Father, for, for those today who maybe have, have yet to say yes to you, or maybe you have made a profession of faith at some point in your life and it's been a while and you need to re-up. I don't know where you're at today, but with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, you can make that profession of faith with me this morning. Simply say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And Father, I repent of those sins. I want to turn away from those sins. And I want to do that because, B, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me and was resurrected three days later. So that I could identify as a follower of him, as his son, as his daughter. And see that I would choose to follow him every single day. That my decisions and my actions would label me as Christian, would identify me as Christian as you identify me as Christian as well. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.